the Center for Nonviolent Social Change. The center is the living legacy to Dr. King and his dream. He had a dream? Oh, yes. He had a dream for freedom, justice, and equality for all people, everywhere. What's this? This is the Nobel Peace Prize awarded to Dr. King for his nonviolent work. What's that? That's the proclamation declaring Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday a national holiday, a holiday for peace. Was Dr. King a good man? Was he a smart man? Was he a kind man? <laughs> yes, he was all of these things. How come you know so much about him? Because he was also my father.
All right, all right, all right. Today is January 16th, National Hog Day. Ooh, that's a fine. Uh, it's Martin Luther King Day. Uh, this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. Trying to bring a little bit of common sense to this uncommon sense world. Uh, rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars. If you don't give us any stars, we can just assume that we're doing just perfectly. We are available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Music, Pandora, Google Podcast, and TuneIn. And we're still working to get on Apple. On today's show, we're going to talk about House Speaker vote, uh, how the house is how the house is trying to defund the IRS, Biden classified documents, um, the debt ceiling limit, and a little VI. Uh, scandal that's going on that's been around for a little while. Uh, you just heard from uh, the Dream Chorus and Holiday Crew celebrating uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's um, holiday. And let's get into it. Uh, right now, we're gonna talk about. I have no idea right now, but... Oh, yes. We're going to talk about... um, What's his name? Kevin McCarthy. Uh, you got to check this out. Mine wasn't ignoring a subpoena. I said I would gladly go if we got to appoint people to the committee. If it was not political, you will find the fundamental difference of me being a speaker and Nancy Pelosi. The other side will get to name their members on the committee. It won't be hand-picked by me... Why? I was very clear early on. Um... Ladies and gentlemen, he was caught in a lie. Yeah, that's Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House. His first press conference. Check it out. Kevin, Kevin. You know, it's not wise to lie in your first press conference as Speaker, especially when reporters are in the mood to do a wee bit of fact-checking. Mine wasn't ignoring a subpoena. I said I would gladly go if we got to appoint people to the committee. If it was not political, you will find the fundamental difference of me being a speaker and Nancy Pelosi. The other side will get to name their members on the committee. It won't be handpicked by me and denying the Democrats their voice. So whatever transpires out of that committee is work to Republicans and Democrats as we move forward. In case you didn't catch that, as this reporter immediately points out, he's not letting Swalwell and Schiff sit on certain committees. I was very clear early on. um, Let me phrase something very direct to you. If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. So basically... Again, lying to his teeth, but he is the weakest speaker uh, he can be voted out by just one person saying they have no confidence. He lied. The other side will get to name their members on the committee. The briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. No, which you should have. You're going to tell me there's 200 other Democrats that couldn't fill that slot, but they kept him on it? Then got upset that a reporter pointed out the lie he told. Does that remind you of anyone in particular? You, I know what crazy is. I know all about crazy. Do you, do, you, do you see a difference in that former President Trump denied repeated requests for all of his classified documents for more than a year and President Biden's lawyers 
because from one standpoint, they knew the documents were there. They actually asked President Trump to put another lock on, so they were locked. You oh, really? They are the exact same. Because here I heard the whole reason federal officials searched Mar-a-Lago in August 2022 is because the lawyers for Trump provided a sworn certification that all government records had been returned, which wasn't true. Hence the seizure of 33 boxes in said search. Now, nobody is saying that these findings aren't concerning and don't deserve to be looked into, which they are. No rational person can try to equate these findings to Trump's document holding. A lot of people think that when you walk into my office, I have confidential documents or whatever it may be, all declassified, but I had confidential documents spread out all over my far floor and uh, like a slob. So the one thing I will tell you as Republicans, we will always protect Medicare and Social Security. We will protect that for the next generation going forward. But we are going to scrutinize every single dollar spent it's the right, it's the hardworking taxpayer that actually pays it, and we want to make sure it's spent wisely. That's a lie. The first two bills, they wanted to defund the IRS and put $150 billion to the deficit. That's another lie. And not the way the Democrats have spent. Well, let's just bookmark this one shall we especially considering republicans are just a foot in the house door and already re-upping their tax breaks for the one percent house republicans are preparing to vote on a national sales tax bill national sales tax that's a great idea it would raise taxes on the middle class by taxing thousands of everyday items from groceries to gas while cutting taxes for the wealthiest americans and if i'm not mistaken what they've introduced it also would totally eliminate the irs feels good Except all going to be sales tax. Go home and tell your moms. They're going to be really excited about that. While also going on news outlets to discuss the benefits of privatizing Social Security. What the Republican Party and what the Tea Party have proposed is privatizing Social Security, which would actually subject Social Security to the whims of the market, which I don't think that people... If you actually that's not what they the paid into. The, no, if no, you look at the returns not. of the... Uh, Mansplaining 101 and this dude is a jackass. Just because he's black and he's a Republican, he's a jackass. They're not. That's not true. Since that is not 2006, true. That's not true. the returns of the S&P 500 since 2006. You're that saying, so you, you, okay, so you support privatizing I, I, Social Security. You know, I want to explain to you. I am a financial professional. I'm securities license. Actually, I just lost my license. No, you're not. You're a lying jackass. But if you privatize Social Security just like that and you want to, yeah, it's going to... Give it to a hedge fund where they can steal the money from the local citizens. I do not understand why people vote against their own interests. This is because I'm not allowed to trade anymore because I'm a member of Congress. Mm-hmm. But let me assure you, if you look at the S&P 500 from 2006 until today, the growth rate in the S&P 500 would have more than taken care of Social Security, way more than the federal government And has. each time that way you had more. a crash, it would subject people's no, Social Security true. funds I'm, to a crash. Hold on a second. So let me just, hold on a second. We're not going to have a whole long thing on Social Security. But let me just be clear. You and you are in favor of privatizing Social Security. So the one thing I will tell you as Republicans, we will always protect Medicare and Social Security. Our blue wall stopped the red wave and election deniers got denied. Yeah, they tried to do that on the first day. They're trying to steal money. Steal money from the working class and give it to the rich. Uh, That's why the rich stay rich. 
and these supposed smart people don't don't understand the game that they're playing. It's 3D chess. It's, it's 3D reality. chess that they're playing. I don't understand why people don't vote for someone who actually or even keeps up on voting. We gotta start with education. We gotta bring civics class back to back to the schools. I don't understand why we don't teach that in schools anymore. Mm, don't talk about Florida. Ugh. Okay, uh, this is uh, about Social Security. Check us out. If you saw the readout last night, you saw Republican Congressman Byron Donalds of Florida make this claim. Do you know that Social Security is going to be insolvent in 2035? That is not true. Okay, the thing he said there that is true is the date, 2035. But Social Security is not going bankrupt. 2035 is the year Social Security trustees say that its trust funds will be depleted. But again, Social Security is not and will not be bankrupt. Okay, now this is the part where I ask you to take out your phones and hit record so you can tell a friend or your Fox-viewing uncle the facts. Okay, get your phones out. Here we go. Social Security pays benefits to people who paid in via that FICO tax thing that you see on your paycheck. And they pay that from two sources, a massive trust fund that builds up over time and from current payroll taxes. So that even if the trust fund is depleted, money is still coming in. And as long as people are working and paying payroll taxes, money coming in means benefits will be paid out. And back in 2016, FYI, Trump and Republicans wanted to remove or suspended the payroll tax to defund Social Security. So they know what they're doing. They're just trying to cause a problem so they can fix the problem that they cause, but they can't fix a problem they cause because they're dumb. Back to the clip. Even after 2035. Okay, hopefully that clears that up. But Congressman Donald's made a case for something conservative and libertarian billionaires and the right in general have wanted for a really long time. You are in favor of privatizing Social Security. No, I'm not in favor. But you just argued for it. I said you 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 brought it up and I brought you the facts. But you are. So if a bill came forward to privatize Social Security, you'd be for it. No, because what we should be doing. Then it's a moot point. Then it's a moot point. It's not a moot point. You're trying to put words in my mouth. But you just explained that the S and P would be a better return than Social Security. So then you are for privatizing. That is a fact. Okay. So don't cheapen privatization when the data is crystal clear that the returns would have been better. Okay, you're for it. You said that you're for it. I swear I would have slapped him. I had to walk. If I was a cameraman on the stage, I would have walked up and punched him in the face. Voila. <laughs> okay, privatizing Social Security has long been a goal of the right and a major one for the Tea Party. Here's Republican Senator Mike Lee back in 2010. It will be my objective to phase out Social Security, nice. to pull it up by the roots and get rid of it. <laughs> Social Security and pull it up by the root. But the talking point goes back way before that. Here is President George W. Bush after his re-election in 2004. Let me put it to you this way. I earned capital in the campaign, political capital, and now I intend to spend it. Capital. 
Bush used his so-called political capital to aggressively push a plan to partially privatize Social Security. It was so broadly unpopular that despite Republican majorities in both houses of Congress, it was never even brought up for a vote. <laughs> Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy of Illinois. A congressman, it is so great to see you in person. Same here, thank you. This is what's fun about being uh, a D.C. show, is that we get to, meet, to see you guys in person. Okay, so let's go through this just for a moment. This idea that Social Security is drying up on the vine and that it's just going away, Please explain, uh, if I did not do so thoroughly enough, how, why that is not only not true, but actually dangerous to the program. Oh, it's, it's just false. It's a, it's a lie. Um, you know, it's about as true as George Santos having stormed the beaches of Normandy, Joy. Um, <laughs> Wait, you know, he didn't storm the beaches of Normandy? <laughs> uh, Ooh. I think the, true, the truth of the matter is that um, around 2035, just as happened many times in the past, including in 1986, because of demographic changes, adjustments will be made to make sure that Social Security is there for the next generation. Uh, President Biden has put forward, and many others have, uh, the proposal to raise the cap on the uh, income subject to Social Security. Right now, the cap is about $160,000. Mm -hmm. So for people who earn much, much more than that, and there are a lot of folks that do, uh, they don't pay taxes on most of their income, unlike most Americans. Yeah. So that's a, a common sense proposal that actually most Republicans support. Top 1%. They only pay on the first 100000 They don't pay on the other earnings. That's why we say they don't pay their fair share. FYI, if I became a billionaire, I would pay, even if I get a tax credit, I think I'll pay back to the less needy to fix the roads and fix the schools. Well, so, and just to explain, just so, so people understand that, you pay that FICO tax on the first $160,000 of your income, right. even if you make a bazillion dollars. Right. Everybody who makes a bazillion dollars, they don't pay taxes because they get that as a business. But let's right. just say you earned a paycheck that Correct. was $4 million. You Correct. only pay on one sixty. If you just inch that up, you'd fix it. One of the other issues is that if you look, I just want to put up a little chart. I love, I love charts. I'm a nerd. Um, and it shows what, what has to be spent by the federal government. There's the kind of spending that is discretionary, meaning defense spending, which is a big chunk of that. There's things like social programs, food stamps, things like that. But then there's Social Security and Medicare. They're not discretionary, right? It's right. not like the government could say, you know what? We feel broke and we're not going to pay it. They have to pay it. That's right. I mean, this is something that, as you know, is like vital yeah. for most Americans. It turns out that something like half of Americans rely on Social Security for half of their income. And so we're talking about maybe 20 million Americans who would go into poverty if Social Security weren't there for them. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so vital for us to make sure that we keep our promise. Uh, and because it's a mandatory spending program, right. we have to under the law. Under the law. And, and you know, Chile tried this. I, I think even during Pinochet, they tried right. it. And even he said, no, that's that's going too far, right. right? Because it was a disaster. What wound up happening is that if you took that Social Security trust fund, handed it to Wall Street right. firms, which they would love to get their hot little hands on it, and they gambled it in the stock market and then lost it, well, they look could at still last, get their fees. Well, look at last year. Yes. Uh, the the S&P was down 20%. That's right. So just imagine... If we had invested that Social Security trust fund in the stock market in any given year, yeah. and you experienced that type of loss, what you'd see is what you saw in the United Kingdom when they attempted to do something similar, which right. is bailouts. That's the government right. ends up bailing out these funds. Yes. We go into further debt, yeah. and we're worse off than where we are right now. 
And so, so, so this is my challenge, is that the Republicans are not having a real debate on this. Some of them are saying, like Lindsey Graham did, that we should raise the retirement age, I don't know, 77 or 99 <laughs> or whatever, so no one ever gets it. You have people who want to privatize it. The one thing they don't, the two things they don't want to talk about, right now you're about two workers for every right. retiree. Because right. it's basically, it used to be three to one. Right. There were three people actively right. working to pay for one right. retiree, now two to one. Immigration would fix that. You know what? A little tax increase, a little immigration will fix it. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. I'm, I'm a legal immigrant myself. I'm, I'm from India. I came here when I was three months old. Mm -hmm. And um, we're down by millions of immigrants right now. That's right. These are younger workers, people who pay into the system, support our social safety net. The other thing that we have to do, Joy, is today only one-third of Americans have a four-year college degree. For mm -hmm. the two-thirds of Americans who do not, we have to absolutely upskill yeah. their earning potential. That's right. You, That's right. You upskill their earning potential, guess what? Yeah. They're able to pay more taxes, that's earn right. more money themselves, right. and support the social safety net. So yeah. that's another uh, key reform that we need. I think one other thing I would love for the Democrats to do is stop calling it entitlements. This is something people paid into. It's something. It's their money. It's their money that they're getting back for having paid It'd into It would be like system. me saying, you know, the money in your wallet, that's an entitlement. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Congressman. Thank you. I love having this conversation with somebody who actually cares about the issue. Uh, Congressman Roger Krishnamurthy, thank you very much. Thank you so much. That's right. The Democrats need a social social media or influencer to, to rebrand their stuff they're talking about. Yeah, because they are talking about entitlements as something that you paid for, something that belongs to you. It already belongs to you. So let's go more on the Social Security. But before we do that, in this portion, this can be a place where you can have your business sponsor our podcast. At this point of the podcast, I can read a read a commercial on anything you want, uh, Coke, Pepsi, or whatever brand you want me to upsell. Because this is the Common Sense Party Podcast. We try to inform our listeners on topics that affect the everyday person. Rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, even give us two stars. If you don't give us any stars, we just assume that we're doing perfectly. And we're available on Spotify. Amazon Music, Samsung, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn, and we're trying for Apple. And fine, fine, fine. And now we're going to go into more about Republicans trying to kill Social Security. Check it out. What's going on in the House? They passed a rules package. The hilarity of the whole thing is they the, the holdouts were like we're draining the swamp we want to make this all transparent we don't even know what deals mccarthy cut with these 20 there is some stuff that is obvious in the rules package that is out there um uh fyi it went to 15 votes in like 20 people held out for key positions on various committees and check it out the Holman rule exists which allows lawmakers to use spending bills to fund specific programs and fire federal officials or reduce their pay now again none of this is going to um, function as is because they're going to have to pass all these bills through the senate 
But it's setting up stuff in the event that the Republicans retain the House and pick up the Senate next time. This is going to exist. And it's, 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 it is creating tools that are going to empower um, the, well, really the heart of the Republican Party. Yep. They're playing the long game. But hopefully we can win this, the, win the House, keep the Senate so we can change the rules so we, we don't do that again. And um, presumably, Democrats get control of the House, they reverse these rules. But even still, with a guy like Hakeem Jeffries, you know, what they can sometimes do is like, we're going to reverse two thirds of it. And keep what we like. Yeah. Republican. It's just there. Because, I mean, who's going to be paying attention to this? Nobody. Um, it makes it harder for lawmakers to raise the debt limit, which is a fake thing, more or less, anyways. We should mint the goddamn uh, platinum coin and get over with this. We're done. It creates a new select subcommittee under the Judiciary Committee focused on the weaponization of the federal government, which, again, I'm not sure if that is as uh, church committee sounding as we hope it would be. Wouldn't hold my breath. I wouldn't hold your breath either. But there's there's hope. Hope springs eternal. Um, Steve Scalise, David Duke without the baggage, he says, uh, bills appear by dark of night. Bills that nobody's read are thousands of pages long. Today starts that process of fixing what's broken in Washington. The only problem is the full extent of the concessions that McCarthy has made, we don't know because it was all done with a handshake in, in, in a back room. Uh, so that's all hidden. It will... Um, allow the party's right wing a critical block of seats on the panel that decides which bills can be considered on the House floor and which amendments may be offered. Uh, that, again, was done in a um, handshake deal, side deal that we don't know. That's how they do it, man. That's corrupt. That's what the MAGA or even corporate Democrats do where they do side deals, but they don't want to be transparent. The problem is they want to be hidden. We don't know anything about. Um, here is uh, Ilhan Omar responding to some of this. She is um, she's asked by the host on MSNBC, Richard Liu, uh, uh, about her thoughts about being kicked off of her committee assignments. Like Kevin McCarthy has been going around saying that she will be. She uh, thinks it would be pretty ridiculous if the only uh, person who grew up in Africa um, was kicked off the African subcommittee of the Foreign Relations Committee, but uh, wouldn't put it past him. Uh, but then uh, goes on to start talking about some of these reforms. Um, certainly was getting a lot of folks uh, confronting him from both sides uh, of the aisle during the talking about process Gates. of 15 votes. One of those, hello, and maybe not hello, was with you. Uh, and we, there's that picture that you're so aware of at the moment. And he was talking with a lot of different representatives during those 15 votes. During this moment, what was he saying to you? Well, I have to say that photo was a whole mood. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we, you know, certainly uh, got 
the opportunity, I think, in those long four days to have conversations, to get an insight on what some of the holdouts on the Republican side in regards to the speaker vote uh, were thinking about the things that they were negotiating for uh, and how ultimately uh, the the vote will shake out. Um, And one of the conversations Matt and I had was about what it would take for him to actually cast a yes vote for McCarthy, and he said that wouldn't happen, um, and it certainly did not happen. So, was he saying that? Uh, did he give you a list of more things, or was he saying we had everything right now and we're just we're just holding out? Did, was there any sort of specificity that you can share with us? I mean, he certainly was going through the list of the things. Um, some obviously seemed like they were already on the table and negotiated for before we even got there. Um, and he certainly didn't seem that there was more on, on a list that would actually get him to, to vote yes. Um, there, and we certainly discussed some of the things on the list that, you know, that we can be excited about. And so we'll see if that rules package uh, comes to fruition and what that would mean for those us in the minority obviously cuts to the pentagon budget um is pretty exciting for folks like me who are putting up amendments to do so i also think um the uh, church style um uh, committee uh, that they are thinking about to look into if there has been any violations um, of First Amendment rights of Amer- of Americans uh, by the FBI and others um, also interests me. So we'll see uh, what ends up happening and if Republicans are able to actually be able to get anything done if the last four days... Uh- but the thing is about that committee is they're going after... People are going after Trump. They're not worried about. They're not worried about American citizens. They're going after people after Trump. Um, who's going after? Um, fine. Uh, going after uh, one of the whoever it's on the January sixth committee because the DOJ has current open investigations on people in Congress currently. That's the reason they go on that about that. She can be, she can, she can hope they're going to help uh, American citizens, but nah, that's not going to happen. Uh, spending cuts, um, they're not gonna, they're not gonna cut the military, not even close. They might want to, but not that they're not going to. It's feasible to cut military spending by two to three billion dollars, but they'll be up in an uproar. We have the biggest goddamn military in the world, and we still can't get it together. All right, check this out. Well, look, I, I agree with uh, Jim Jordan uh, that we are going to carve out uh, woke policies out of the military. We are going to look. Pause it for one second. Pause it for one second. Wait, wait. So the stuff that we're going to cut out of the military is going to be the woke stuff. <laughs> yeah. They're spending so much money. I need to know what's the woke stuff. Those rainbow flags and all those books about reconstruction where they give every single member of the military a uh, Eric Foner uh, Eric Foner anthology. Once they roll that back, we'll be have some big cuts. Yeah, just, just be clear. Again, now we've gone from 
cuts to the military to cut out the woke stuff. They should probably take uh, Robin D'Angelo's generalship away from her too. Exactly. <laughs> All right, but go back to the beginning here because understand, this is the game, right? This is the game that they play. And people who buy into this game are suckers. They're suckers. Or they think you're a sucker. Now, Congressman, should military spending cuts be on the table and put on the table by a Republican? Well, look, I, I agree with uh, Jim Jordan uh, that we are going to carve out uh, woke policies out of the military. We are going to look at the out-of-whack ratio of generals. I, I invite him to come on the Armed Services Committee and, and work with us on that. But, Stu, uh, and by the way, I'm all for a balanced budget. We've got to get spending under control, but we are not going to do it on the backs of our troops and our military. Uh, when at the same time we're talking about China is the greatest threat, we're going to have a select committee on China. They're tripling their nuclear arsenal. Iran is racing towards a nuke. North Korea is about to launch an ICBM. Russia uh, is on the, on the march. And oh, by the way, we still have a global terrorist state now in Afghanistan, thanks to Joe Biden. So this is, I mean, we can work on report. Nope. Thanks to Trump. They kind of forget that Trump made the deal for them to pull out. Trump did, not Biden. Prioritizing defense spending, but that's really nibbling around the margins. If we really want to talk about the debt and spending, it's the entitlements program that's 70%. There's that word again, entitlements of our entire budget. That $1.7 trillion and defense within that is only 30%. So if we want to talk about big reforms, I look forward to hearing that uh, from those folks who are pushing towards the balanced budget. There are three things that constitute entitlement, entitlements, so-called entitlements. Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security. Period. End of story. Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Program that keeps two-thirds of our elderly out of poverty. Program that, at least in most states in the country, Medicaid, will cover people up to 133% of poverty. Republicans do not like poor people. I, I stand by it. Make sure they get health care. Medicare, making sure that our elderly have health care and are not broke. In fact, Medicare now, as of uh, just two or three days ago, every recipient on Medicare who requires insulin, their cost of that insulin is capped at $35 a month. Joe Biden did that. And I can tell you, uh, insulin is, has been far more expensive than that. I buy it for my freaking cats, and they're sadly not on Medicare. Each little tiny ball comes like 300 bucks. That's what they're coming for. And, and to the extent that Democrats can be, have a tendency in some instances to be uh, complicit with those calls for cutting. Um, to the extent that it happens, it usually happens. Happened to the Obama administration in 2010. It, it, it usually happens where Republicans hold the country hostage and Democrats capitulate 
Now, I don't know that they're going to do that this time. It is a different Democratic Party than it was in 2010. They better not. Different Democratic Party than it was in 2004. They better not. Not dramatically different, but different enough. And the Republicans are going to use the debt ceiling to try and cut Social Security and Medicare. And this is where people have to really pay attention and get on their representatives and on their senators and say, we're we're watching you, and you cannot give in to these type of hostage demands. That's right. Write your senators. Write your congresspersons. Let them know. We're watching you. They should have fixed this debt ceiling in uh, in December. I know that Joe Manchin, again, we had a Joe Manchin problem and whatnot. I didn't see Biden exert uh, any effort on this, but maybe, you know, he didn't do very well exerting effort on Joe Manchin for Build Back Better anyway, so who knows? But this is where, you know, people are going to have to get involved and pay attention because... Yes, we got to pay attention. And we got to pay attention to where Republicans are trying to hold the country hostage. And here they talk about being dishonest about the IRS. Republicans are serious about anything. You supported the House bill with, we just discussed. It would rescind uh, billions of dollars in funding for the IRS. Before the vote, you tweeted, Tonight, House GOP will fulfill our promise and vote to block the Biden administration from unleashing 87,000 new IRS agents to go after families and small businesses. That, that's not accurate. It's 87,000 IRS employees, not IRS agents. It would be over the course of, I think, of a decade, some of them uh, replacing individuals who lose their jobs through attrition. And the Congressional Budget Office says that your bill to get rid of those IRS employees is going to add to the deficit. Watch how he This is the CBO. Only in the bizarro world of Washington would you get a CBO estimate that says not spending $80 billion is actually going to add to the deficit. It, it makes Pause it for one second. Yeah. Pause it for one second. <laughs> Only in that bizarro world and in every single business that operates in any context or any institution. Spending money I to make can... money? What world are we living in? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Who's ever heard of such a thing? <laughs> I mean, let's just go back to, I don't know, uh, five or ten years ago in this program, and we can still have the used computers that we had from 2006 and see if we could stream any of this. This is just like, it is unbelievable that those words could come out of the mouth of a grown-up. But uh, there it is. Just go back a little bit and continue. Those IRS employees are, is going to add to the deficit. Only in the bizarro world of Washington would you get a CBO estimate that says not spending $80 billion is actually going to add to the deficit. It, it makes no sense. Because of enforcement for people who are for avoiding paying their taxes, as you know, in about 10 years ago, if you made more than $10 million a year, uh, one out of five people like that would be audited. Now it's down to like 3.5, uh, 3.6%. The really wealthy people are getting away with not paying their taxes, corporations too. The intent of hiring all these new agents would have the effect of going after hardworking families and small businesses. That is not a Republican talking point. That comes from the Joint Committee on Taxation, which is... Lies. Is a nonpartisan group. They've evaluated this and they know that it will be the low hanging fruit that the IRS will go after first. And that's the small business owners and those who are struggling to be entrepreneurs. In- if they're struggling, 
They won't cheat taxes. Drop job Fine. creators and they're the risk takers in our economy who provide jobs for more people. They are not the ones that need scrutiny. What we want, Jake, the Republican Party wants, is an IRS that works for hardworking families, not against them. And that's what this was going to be about, and that's why we fulfilled our commitment uh, to repeal that funding on the very first day. I'm, I'm glad we did, and I think if you poll this across the country, I think most of America agrees with us. Not a don't, you jackass. And guess what? It didn't even get picked up in the House. I mean, in the Senate. Well, it depends on what you're presenting in the poll. Are you saying 87,000 agents are coming at you, booga booga? Or is it <laughs> this funding for IRS enforcement, 87,000 people over the course of a decade that would be focused on uh, going after individuals who don't pay their taxes, mainly wealthy people and, and corporations? I think you'd probably get two different answers. Well, maybe, but when the Joint Committee on Taxation uh, publishes something and presents it, it's given a lot of weight because, again, they're nonpartisan. This is not this is not Republican talking points. This is what the evaluation and the analysis of the White House's proposal and the legislation last year, what it would actually accomplish. And so we disagree with that. We have a different agenda, and I think it's the agenda of the American people. But I quoted the CBO, and you went after them. They're nonpartisan, Listen, too. Listen, the, the CBO doesn't have a lot of credibility here right now. Oops. Their analysis Goal is wildly inaccurate in a lot of ways, and they don't always... Uh, do appropriate analysis. And I, look, appropriate I, I analysis. Arena as well as we go forward. We have to have dynamic scoring. We have to look at reality when we, we uh, give estimates. The reality is the rich motherfuckers in Congress don't want to get audited. That's the motherfucking reality. On what pause it, pause it. First off, there's nothing more dynamic in terms of dynamic scoring than if you spend a certain amount of money and hire people who are going to go after more revenue, then you're going to get more revenue. That's dynamic scoring. Yeah, he also says that they are not the ones that need enforcement, these small business owners. That's exactly the point. I mean, I mean, the small business owner is, myth is a myth, but he's claiming, and Tapper's doing a good job there of undercutting it, that this is going after the mom and pop shop or the little Joe down the street. No, this is designed to go after well, the millionaires. Let's be clear. Also, you know, mom and pop and little Joe down the street or whoever it is, they're supposed to pay their taxes yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Everybody's supposed to pay their taxes, but they're going to go where the biggest pot of money is, and that's with millionaires. And we know that when you cut the funding, the number of millionaires who get audited goes down. Keep going. Have dynamic scoring. We have to look at reality when we, we uh, get estimates on what legislation is going to cost. And the CBO doesn't do that all the time. I mean, when they come out with an estimate on Capitol Hill right now, there's lots of eye rolling, typically. And that's a problem. And that's part of the problem we have with transparency and doing the Americans people's business in the way it should be done. And we are working every day. We're going to continue to work to reform these processes to make Washington work for the people again. I, look, this is common sense uh, ideas that will yield transparency and accountability. And I think everybody's for that. Uh, well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, why not just be honest about what the bill would actually do? It's, it's, I am honest. I you said 87,000 IRS agents. That's not Jake, what it is. Jake, that is exactly what it is. That is the Treasury's own published report in 2021 that they said, as you noted, over a 10-year period, they wanted to add 86,800 and something employees agents. and not agents, employees. Oh, J Jake, you know what all those positions are going to be? Have you seen that analysis? Yeah. He just wants to paint some sort of picture of, like, the IRS agent coming down your the door. The jack thug. 87,000 yeah. Jason Bournes for taxes. Yeah. <laughs> to assassinate you. Uh, yes, that's from the majority report where they talk about the IRS agents. Let's go to our guy, Bo from the 5th. Check it out. 
Well, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So today we are going to talk about 87,000 new employees at the IRS and uh, what happened in the House. And we're going to kind of put everything into focus because there's a, a lot of confusion about it. First, let's talk about what the bill does. What, what has already been passed. Let's talk about that part. So there's 87,000 new employees to be hired at the IRS over 10 years. And more than 50,000 of those are to replace retiring IRS employees. The net gain, I want to say it's like 27,000. Um, those are going to be mostly customer service and IT. The idea that they're hiring 87,000 armed agents, that's just not true. Um, again, this is over 10 years, and the new resources are specifically directed to go after, quote, high income and corporate tax evaders. The threshold is 400000 If you make less than $400,000 a year, you will not see your chances of an audit increase. Um. So I know there's probably a lot of people who watch Fox News who are wondering why I'm still talking about this in the present tense, like it's going to happen, because, you know, the plucky upstarts in the House, they they stopped it and they, they took that funding away. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Uh, they, they passed it in the House, that's true, but uh, based on the reporting, it's not even going to be taken up in the Senate. If it was taken up, it wouldn't pass. If it did pass, it wouldn't be signed by Biden. They accomplished absolutely nothing. Except for creating a perceived solution to a problem that they made up. It's, it's the new Republican mantra because they have come to the conclusion that not only is their base easily manipulated, they also don't understand basic civics. Um, their, their new method is to create an issue out of whole cloth. 87,000 armed agents. Okay, That was never going to happen. That wasn't a thing. They just made that up, and it got reported on by outlets like Fox. And now they've done this thing and made a big show about it in the House. So when 87,000 agents don't show up, they're going to look like they did something. They won. They stopped the IRS from coming after you. Except none of that's true. They just made it up. Um, so all of this is still happening, just so everybody's clear on that. The funding's already there. Um, they're going to start the hires over the next 10 years. They will hire 87,000 more people, and there will be more audits of people who make more than $400,000 a year. So literally nothing changed, except they got a cool little vote and talking point in. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. Yep, they did absolutely nothing fine, nothing at all. All they did was just got together and showed their hand on what they're going to do.
And the crazy part about it is their base won't even their base will think that they, they did something. And it's kinda crazy. I don't understand why they don't why they don't understand that they're trying to manipulate them. Alright, let's move on to the rules package. The rule package that they voted on. Let's listen to um, uh, House Roy, uh, Chip Roy from Texas. Recognized for four minutes. I thank the speaker. And I thank my friend from Oklahoma, Mr. Cole. And I'm delighted to be down here on the floor of the House of Representatives in a Republican majority. And I'm delighted to be talking about a rules package crafted by that Republican majority and that reflects what I think is a fundamental transformation of this house to ensure that the people can be represented by their representatives. That's the point. There's a reason that I've had great conversations with some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle about why having 72 hours to read a bill or why having a bill that isn't littered with Christmas tree uh, additional subjects rather than single subjects as my friend from Virginia, Mr. Griffith articulated so well or whether having germane amendments and being able to open up the floor by virtue of changing the rules or restoring the Holman rules so we can have an impact on agencies that are out of control and not responding to the people's house, there's a reason why those rules are so fundamentally important. To restore this body, to restore the people's house. That's why we're here. Everybody keeps running around in classic swamp speak talking about secret deals, secret addendums. What we're talking about is how people come to an agreement in this town to ensure that we're going to carry out what we said we're going to do. The rules package is on full display. The rules package has been on full display and publicly available since Friday, to the best of my knowledge, or earlier last week. The text of that rules package has been something we can look at. And my friends are right. A good chunk of that text was the agreement reached a while back, a couple of weeks ago, a week or two ago. With one significant change, the single-person motion to vacate, which is in the spirit of that which goes all the way back to Jefferson. In fact, we are currently now operating not under any rules. That's why we're having a debate. We're about to debate on adopting the rules. I could walk down right there into the well and file a motion to vacate single-person right now because that's the precedent. That's what we're operating under because that goes back to Jefferson. The whole point here is trying to ensure that we're continuing the great history of the people's house. Yes, we have had conversations and agreements as individuals are supposed to do, looking each other in the eye and saying, we're going to bring balanced budgets to the floor of the house. You bet that we've got agreements that we're going to do that. You bet that we've had agreements that we're going to bring the Texas border plan to make sure we secure the border rather than perpetuating the fraud that the president of the United States continues to perpetuate endangering the American people. You bet that we're bringing forward a promise to have legislation that will set term limits because the American people are tired of a house that doesn't represent them. You bet that we've got agreements to do those things. You bet that we've been talking about making sure that we can bring amendments to the floor of this house open debate amendments on appropriations bills, that that was a part of the package that we're talking about. And you bet that a part of our agreement was ensuring that a church-style committee under the leadership of 
uh, my good friend, the gentleman from Ohio, Mr. Jordan, the Judiciary Committee. Pedophile. To target the weaponization of government against the American people. Pedophile. You bet that those agreements were reached. I will not back away from that or shy away from it. But this rules package is a rules package that reflects this body, the entirety of the Republican Party, on making sure that we restore the people's house. And we are united to do that. We are coming out of last week strong, united, to make sure that we stand up for the American people. And I encourage everybody to vote for this rules package. And I... Uh, FYI, the rules package voted across party lines, so... <coughs> Fine. That was uh, Chip Roy. And check this out. From Texas is recognized for four minutes. I thank the speaker. And I thank my friend from Oklahoma, Mr. Cole. And I'm delighted to be down here on the floor of the House of Representatives in a Republican majority. And I'm delighted to be talking about a rules package. Gentleman from Ohio is recognized for four minutes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I appreciate the gentleman yielding. A ploy. It's not. Here's the pedophile. Not a ploy when the Department of Justice treats parents as terrorists, moms and dads who are simply showing up at a school board meeting to advocate for their son or daughter. Yeah, they show up with guns. A ploy. It's not a ploy when the FBI pays Twitter three million dollars, not one, not two, three million dollars to censor American citizens. It's not a ploy when the Department of Homeland Security tries to set up a disinformation governance board because we all know that the Department of Homeland Security can tell what's good speech and what is bad speech, what's missed. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I tell you what, dozens of whistleblowers have come talk to Republican staff on the Judiciary Committee don't think this is a ploy. That's why they came to talk to us. They know how serious this is. The former Democrat chair of the Judiciary Committee is in the press today saying we're going to fight this tooth and nail. This is political. But meanwhile... The former Democrat chair of the Intelligence Committee pressured Twitter to censor a journalist. You've got to be kidding me. That This is the most important. This is about the First Amendment, something you guys used to care about. And I'd actually hoped we could get bipartisan agreement on protecting the First Amendment. The five... Again, this is just a ploy to protect the Republicans who are in the investigation for January 6th rights we enjoy as Americans under the First Amendment. Your right to practice your faith, your right to assemble, right to petition the government, freedom of press, freedom of speech. Every single one's been attacked in the last two years. There were, there, government was telling people they couldn't go to church just a few years ago. Your right, COVID. right to assemble, your right to petition the government. The Democrats kept the Capitol closed. You couldn't, as a citizen, couldn't come to your cap- COVID. Capitol that you pay for to address your member of Congress to redress your grievances because Nancy Pelosi wouldn't let you in. Freedom of the press, I just told you what the head of the Intel Committee tried to do to a journalist. The most important right we have, though, is your right to talk. Because if you can't talk, you can't practice your faith, you can't share your faith, you can't petition your government. You, The right to speak is the most important, and that's what they're going after. And that's why we've had dozens of whistleblowers come talk to us. We want to focus on that because we want it all to stop. We want the double standard to stop. This idea that if, oh, if you're a pro-life activist, you're going to get your door kicked in. You're going to get arrested and handcuffed in front of your seven kids and your spouse for simply praying in front of abortion clinic and telling the guy who was harassing your son to knock it off. You're going to have the FBI raid your home. But the, the protest that went on the, at, at Supreme Court justices' homes in the aftermath of the leak of the Dobbs opinion, oh, no problem there. Americans are sick and tired of it. 
And what we want, we, we don't want to go after anyone. We just want it to stop. That is a lie. And we want to respect the First Amendment to the Constitution that the greatest country in the world has. That's what this committee is all about. And that's what we're, that's what we're going to focus on. That's what we're going to do. And I yield back to the gentleman. Appreciate him. Again, that is a lie. They're going after the DOJ, the FBI, because they have ongoing investigation of people in Congress. They might, they might dress it up as, hey, we're going to, we're going to protect your rights, but they don't, they don't. That's not what they're going for. They're going for... They're going for... Um, to protect their own. Alright. Let's talk about... The... 118th Congress. They're going to retaliate. But at this time again... You can have your business or your product... At this point... In the podcast. This is the Common Sense Party Podcast... Uh, rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us two stars, give us any stars. If you don't give us any stars, we just assume that we're doing it correctly. Uh, we're on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We're still working on Apple. Our next subject is Congress. Check us out. Joining me now is a former congressman, Denver Rickleman. He served as an advisor to the January 6th Select Committee, and he's the co-author of the book, The Breach, the untold story of the investigation into January 6th. Denver, it's always a pleasure and an honor to have you on my show. I thought it was important for you and I to have this conversation when this subcommittee was established, and now it's, it's official. I mean, so when you look at this resolution establishing this subcommittee, what are your immediate concerns? You know, uh, my immediate concerns are, are we going to get a crash course in crazy, you know, over the next two years when you look at the individuals who are pushing this? And Katie, you know, I was listening to Zinke talk about secret messages. Uh, I got to see secret messages in the Meadows. And it's interesting to me that the Jim Jordans or the Thomas Masseys or those pushing this are the ones who couldn't determine between fact and fantasy when it came to stop the steal, right, and trying to overturn a free and fair election. So that's what people should be worried about. When you have these kind of committees that are established, they should be worried about the people that are actually making decisions on what facts actually mean. And I think we, what we've seen in the last couple of years that they're sorely lacking in that capability to determine between facts and fantasy, and that should scare the American public. So, Denver, my next question to you is a little multi-part, but really it's multi-part in terms of the possible answer, so I have to ask. What do you think this committee is ultimately designed to do? A, is it to obfuscate and delay the DOJ's investigation into former President Trump? B, is it to protect Republican members of Congress who are currently under investigation? Or C, is it merely an opposition research department to dig up information on President Biden ahead of 2024? I guess in fairness, Denver, I should say D, all of the above. Yep, all of the above. Because I personally think it's all of the above. I was waiting for D. Uh, I was waiting for D, but I'm going to bracket A through C if that's okay, Katie. I think think you're looking at fundraising, polling, and exciting the base on things that sort of hit them in the amygdala rather than a facts-based and sober way of doing policy and legislation. Um, you know, I think the 118th Congress is going to be about retaliation instead of legislation. 
And I've said that a couple of times because when you see something like this, when you see a select committee, you know, against the weaponization or, uh, you know, against the American people by the federal government of those agencies, eventually that gets to the January 6th committee. Uh, that's, that's really what you're going to get to. It's also trying to validate some of their craziest theories, really trying to make themselves feel better, right? It's, uh, you know, they're going to have to do some, you know, uh, you know, uh, I guess getting together in private and commiserate over the things they don't find. But again, it goes back to, Katie, this is about fundraising, polling, and exciting the base. It's about really not getting anything done. It's about obfuscating what really needs to be done. And I think it really is preparation for the 2024 presidential election and making sure they can do everything they can uh, to drag the Biden administration through the mud. And if that's uh, something that's really made up or fantastical, we've seen that the Republican base has been willing to go down that road before. We've got Jim Jordan claiming that the purpose of this subcommittee has to deal with violation of First Amendment rights, specifically by the right, um, or excuse me, the violations done by the left against the right, against Republicans. You know, in this resolution, Denver, we've got private companies. It's not just agencies, right? You've got private companies and nonprofits broadly included in this resolution language. So what kind of narrative do you think House Republicans are trying to push here as the basis for their investigations? Because, I mean, this goes beyond the auspices of the FBI, the DOJ. This now encroaches upon private industry. Yeah, the overarching message is going to be a deep state globalist plot to, uh, I would say, to uh, enforce socialism in the United States. Uh, and they're going to try to link this deep state globalist plot to the Biden administration. They're going to talk about how the deep state likes to coordinate, you know, bizarre types of activities uh, to suppress conservative voices and, and those who really believe in the Constitution. And if I say that with a little sarcasm, I can't help it. Because you got to remember, I got to see Jim Jordan's crazy text. I think one of the most underrated texts uh, out there in the night of January 5th when he actually copy-pasted a Department of Defense Inspector General report on how to overthrow the election to Mark Meadows, you know, right before midnight on January 5th. So, you know, that's why I'm, um, it's very difficult for me to take any of these individuals seriously, but the base will. So uh, really, again, it goes back to uh, the same type of conspiracy theories, the, the basis of QAnon and other crazy things that are, that are believed by a large segment of our population. And that's why I, I put out a tweet a couple months ago I said, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets a lot worse. And I think you're seeing that right now. I mean, I think there should have been a select subcommittee on how to find Jim Jordan's sport coat. And listen, and I say that in jest, but not entirely. I mean, Denver, all kidding aside, how do the Democrats respond here? Do they play ball with the Republicans, nominate people to serve on this committee, which they're allowed to do, subject, of course, to the veto power of McCarthy, et cetera, Jordan? Do they actually respond? Because um, you knew when you worked on that 1-6 committee, there was non-compliance. But when you did get your hands on the Meadows text, for example, you were able to see how crazy, crazy was. I mean, what do you do if you're the Democrats in terms of playing ball here? You absolutely play ball. And what you do is you hire people that aren't, you know, institutionalists. You don't hire individuals that uh, maybe have been on the Hill for a long time. You hire professionals to look at the data and facts and build your narrative based on that. So it, it's absolutely always looking at what the attack vector is, you know, from a GOP or from a committee that maybe is dealing in fantasy or maybe is dealing in the misrepresentation of facts where they don't know how to come to a conclusion based on the facts in front of them. And what you have is a sober look using facts and data to refute everything that they're doing. So not only do I think the Democrats should participate, they should participate with gusto. They should participate with excitement and they should participate with professionals 
to know what data and facts look like. And their counter narrative or their narrative to go against what the GOP might be coming out with is this. We're just going to look at facts and data. And while you, while the individuals that are on this committee have already, you know, been so uh, taken by fantasies like Stop the Steal, we're going to continue in a facts-based way to do the best thing for the American people. Uh, and that's what we're going to do. And, and if the Republicans find some facts, the Democrats, you know, I think they say, okay, that's a fact. That's a data point. Let's dig in that more and let's see what it really means for the American people. That's how I would play it. But again, I haven't been in politics for a couple of years, Katie, so maybe I'm looking at this too soberly or with too much rationalization. No, you are looking at it exactly the way it should be looked at, because sometimes it does take stepping back and kind of not being in that fishbowl anymore, Denver, I think, to be able to give this type of insight and analysis. So I thank you, former Congressman Denver Rindleman, for joining me today and for spending some time with us. Thanks for being here. Cheers. Cheers. So this new Republican-led subcommittee to investigate the investigators, as we've said, is really drawing attention to those House members who are under investigation themselves, like Republican Congressman Scott Perry. Perry would not commit to recusing himself from a possible House investigation of the January 6th committee. Take a quick listen to what Democratic Congressman Dan Goldman had to say about that. A member from Pennsylvania had his cell phone seized pursuant to a court order finding probable cause that he committed a crime. Yet he has indicated that he wants to be on this subcommittee so that he can undermine a criminal investigation into himself. My Republican counterparts can dress up the subcommittee with a menacing name, but let's call it what it really is, the Republican Committee to Obstruct Justice. Yep, that's all it is, trying to obstruct. That's all they're trying to do is obstruct. And talking about obstruction, let's talk about that guy, Mr. Santos, the liar who fabricated his resume, just like everybody does, wink, wink. And he got on a committee because he needed to vote for speaker. Check it out. Santos at this time? No, but I'll tell you when we do. Have you considered maybe not seating him on any committees? Is that an option that's on the table right now? No, you're a good reporter. You ask the question many times. Well, I'll do it. I'll let you all know when the time is right. Have you talked to him at all? Have you had a conversation with him I'll about let you guys all know. Speaker Kevin McCarthy refusing to comment on New York Republican George Santos. Santos is, of course, facing multiple investigations related to lies he told on the campaign trail. He's apologized for misleading his voters, but many say it is not enough. And while Santos and his party have been dodging reporters' questions, Democrats have had plenty to say about this subject. Here's fellow New Yorker Dan Goldman just earlier today. We haven't seen a single um, movement on the part of Republican leadership. George Santos cast the deciding vote for Kevin McCarthy so that he could become Speaker of the House. So they have wrapped their arms around him. George Santos needs to be held accountable for his lies. Dan Goldman is one of two House Democrats who have filed an ethics complaint against Santos. So let's discuss this and more with Democratic strategist James Carville, who helped elect former President Bill Clinton in the early 90s, and he gets us smarter every time he's here. James, how do Republicans solve a problem called George Santos? What should they do and what will they do? I'd like to see the guy's passport. I said, how do we know that he's a citizen? I mean, maybe he is and maybe he has a passport, but I haven't seen it. 
the second thing is, I, I think he's just a perfect instrument to expose the rot that is the modern Republican Party. And I think Congressman Goldman and all of them should just keep hammering away. And of course, they can't do anything about it because they have to have his vote and just use him, you know, as a political pinata and just keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and keep asking the Republicans, let's see your passport. What about this? What about that? I think he's more valuable there than he is gone. I really do. That is truly sick. It may be true, but it's sick. Here's something else we keep hearing about from Republicans. Cuts to Social Security and other entitlement reform. They've been talking about this for a long, long time. But if they actually move forward, is it going to backfire? A whole lot of voters on every side of the aisle really want to keep their Social Security. So, Stephanie, indulge me here a second. All right. I, I read this on the Fox News website. One of the secret deals that they made with Kevin McCarthy. And by the way, the 18 Republicans that are from District Biden carry, they don't know what they voted on. They have no idea of what Kevin McCarthy and the Freedom Caucus deal they cut. Congressman Buddy Carter of Georgia is bringing to the floor a bill that would not abolish the IRS, abolish the income tax. Wait, not just abolish the income tax, would abolish the estate tax, would abolish the, the gift tax, all right? It's all rich people taxes. More importantly, would abolish all payroll taxes. Right? That, that's how Social Security and Medicare fund. That is on Fox News' website. That is coming to the floor. Republicans don't like poor people. All right? And they say that what, what they're going to replace it with is a tax on consumption. That's a fancy word for a tax on everything you buy. And to make up that revenue, you, you, you'd have to get a, a revenue estimated economist on your show. I bet you you're somewhere in, in the high 30% uh, tax. And that means a, a gallon of gas, a bottle of aspirin, a, a, a quart of milk, a loaf of bread. Everything is going to go up if, if, if this were to happen. Now, that is part of the deal they're made. And, and this is how crazy this entire thing is. Now, and you say, well, James, come on, the Senate will go along with that. It, it, it won't get enough votes. You know, it is a statement of their intent. It's a statement of their values, and it's a statement of their priorities. And these 18 Republicans that said they want to go to Washington, the problem solvers or whatever that stupidity is, they, they, they voted for things that they had no idea what Kevin McCarthy had given away to the Freedom Caucus. And the Democrats have to just pound this home. Okay, Pound well, James, home. then let's say they're doing it. Is that not the greatest gift to Democrats? Because changing the tax code in that way doesn't add up for a mathematician. And more importantly for you, it don't add up for voters. Not at all. And you've got to keep reminding people of it. You remember Kevin McCarthy said in the campaign in October of 2022 that he was going to use the debt limit to force cuts in Social Security and Medicare. All right? The voters didn't know that because they got people got distracted. And you got to bring it home. They have, to, they have to make people all the time go on what they're voting on, what deals that they made that they have no idea, no idea what, what McCarthy has done. And, and you know, McCarthy is a... Is a political principle, he agreed to anything to, to, and to get, you know, George Sanders' vote. 
I mean, it, it's really stunning what we're seeing. And it's really up to the Democrats to hold these Republicans accountable for, for the, the secrecy and the backdoor dealing and the things that they want to do. And, and a lot of them tell us they're going to do it. So just for God's sakes, you know, use this to, to the best political advantage you can, which I think is good, a lot. A okay, lot. but James, help me. You know politics. I don't. If I was running for office and had no morals, I would say, what are the things that are most popular with voters, irrelevant or what I think? And I'm going to agree to all that to get elected. Let's look at the state of Florida. It has the highest population of senior citizens, people with disabilities. Do Republicans just want to give up Florida? Because I'm pretty sure those residents really care about a lot of these provisions. Who are they, they doing this know. for? They don't know about because we have a total Myself and, 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 and the consulting community, the retired consulting community, or you in the media, the people of Florida, people don't know what they're really for. And, and again, Kevin McCarthy told us what they were going to do. Rick Scott told us that, that they wanted to sunset Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, they did. All right? That is on the record. And we have done a poor job of telling people about this. And, and, and I blame myself, and I, I blame news networks and news people also. The, the public has no idea of how extreme these people really are. And they're telling you every day. Look at, the look, again, the Fox News website. Congressman Buddy Carter of the 1st District of Georgia. A consumption, a 40% consumption tax. That, that's what they're for. I mean, that, 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 that's really not, that's not going to be popular. I, I can tell you right now, I don't, I don't have to follow that. That's not going to play in Peoria or Pittsburgh or Phoenix or anywhere else, I promise you. Which is why it baffles me that Buddy Carter would want to do that. I'm pretty sure he'd like to get reelected again. Somebody else wants to get elected for a different office than she's holding right now. California, California Congresswoman Katie Porter just got reelected into Congress, has announced... She's going to run for Dianne Feinstein's Senate seat in 2024. Feinstein hasn't even said whether she'll run again yet. I'll be asking Katie Porter about this tomorrow, but what do you think of this? She just ran well, a really tough race. I'd be the first to announce, but she's going to have a lot of company. <laughs> I mean, I, California politics, that's, <laughs> they can play, don't kid yourself, they can be pretty brutal out there, but I mean, it's pretty evident that Senator Feinstein... You know, it's not likely to run for re-election. Uh, you know, she's had a remarkable career. She was mayor of San Francisco. I mean, she, she's, she's really had a, a, a remarkable political career. But uh, I, I, there's going to be a lot of people running for that seat, I promise you. And, I mean, of course, Congressman Porter is a very particular, smart person. And, you know, she's putting her cards on the table early. But there they, they're going to be more people in this card game, I promise you. Love yeah, Katie Porter is a good House member. Uh, she'd make a good senator. I think she'll win. But back to that guy Santos. Let's go ahead and say more When about you build him. something on lies and, and no ethics and no responsibility, there's accountability. George Santos has no business serving in Congress on behalf of all the board members. And frankly, the 750,000 residents live in the town of Hempstead. It's time to go. It's time to get out. Today, an astonishing sight in Nassau County, New York, on Long Island, as dozens of local Republican officials and party leaders 
called on their fellow Republican, freshman Congressman George Santos, who was sworn in just four days ago to resign immediately. George Santos's campaign last year was a campaign of deceit, lies, and fabrication. He is a stain on the House of Representatives. He's a stain on the 3rd Congressional District. He's a national joke. He's an international joke. But this joke's got to go. Mr. Santos, haven't you done enough harm? It's time for you to resign, George. Oof. They're not alone, okay? After that, at least four fellow freshmen, all Republicans from New York, are calling on George Santos to step down. You see them there. Uh, some of them representing districts that are competitive, that Biden won, and worried about their own reelection. But in spite of all that, the man who actually does have some authority over Santos, Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, says he will still be seating the congressman on committees. And Santos himself says he will not step aside. I will not. <laughs> What would embattled members of Congress do without the members-only elevator? While Santos keeps trying to escape reporters in the halls of Congress, the stack of investigations into, and this is the most crucial thing, his very strange campaign finances keep piling up. He's already under local and federal investigation. Today, Talking Point's memo reported the FEC sent the Santos campaign over 20 letters notifying it of issues with its campaign filings. Also noting his filings include line items for what appear to be personal expenses, including meals, clothing, and rent. Multiple meals took place at a D.C. area casino. And there's a staggering amount of fantastical tales George Santos has told through the years, saying he caught a severe early case of COVID, even though he was on TV four days later, or claiming to be a, quote, proud American Jew. His parents fled Hitler, even though he's actually Catholic and has no Jewish ancestors as far as we can tell from the records said he owned 13 different properties when he's never been a landlord or claiming in a resume he gave to local republican leaders back in 2020 that he worked at goldman sachs and citigroup he did not and went to nyu and baruch college he doesn't have a college degree and here's the thing we found out today it's my favorite so far he didn't just claim he went to baruch he had a whole made-up story about his glory days in his non-existent time told me, I remember specifically, I'm um, into sports a little bit, that he was a star on the Baruch volleyball team and that they won the league championship. What can I tell you? I'm joined now by Marissa Cavis, an MSNBC columnist, Long Island Natum, who has been covering her saga in her newsletter featured The Daily Santos, available at her Substack. It's great to have you here. Great to be here, Chris. Well, that was quite a spectacle this morning. It was something. I mean, it really made Long Island proud. It was very Long Island. For those who don't have it, it was like all the accents, all the characters there. What do you What do you think prompted this? Like, I mean, it was really forceful. It was not equivocating. What do you think prompted them coming out the way they did? I think they're just so embarrassed. I mean, the way this whole thing has unfolded, it's just one bomb after another. And they realized they had to cut their losses. And they were finally just like, we've got to get rid of this guy. He is dead weight. Right, because from their perspective, there's no... This is only bad for them, right? Like, he's not involved in local politics. He's in, he's in D.C. They look like jokers. And I do think there was some palpable con, con subtext here, which is that they never fielded a particularly strong candidate in that district. No. And this, what they view as a con man, swept in to win it, and they didn't do anything. 
No, they didn't do their due diligence at all because I don't think they had to hit, well, they didn't think they had a chance. Exactly right. And, and then, embarrassing. Right. And then when the redistricting dropped pretty close to the primary, they were like, oh my goodness, we might actually have a chance in this district. And so um, it now included more of Queens and Long Island, and they called on the Queens GOP to be like, oh, do you have a guy? And they said, yeah, sure, here's this guy, Santos. And that's pretty much how it happened. And in fact, I mean, the, the, the sort of micro-geographical story here is like, there's kind of a chip on the shoulder, Long Island, Nassau County, generally about the city. And there was like all this shade they were throwing at the Queens. Oh, yeah. The Queens Republican <laughs> Party. Like it was the fault of the Queens folks that they didn't do it. Yes. I mean, there is this bit of tension, and we are kind of two new districts being melded together. And there's a sort of high society. You know, we're better than that in Nassau County. It's a very wealthy area. It's, you know, East Egg and West Egg and the Great Gatsby. That, that's the district. So you. So this is all high comedy, and I should note, I want to throw no shade at the proud Baruch College Bearcats, who have a fine volleyball program, in fact, won the 2022 CUNYAC title over Hunter, I looked that up today, um, so shout out to them, but he did not play for them. Um, the big problem here, though, of course, and, and I think the Nassau folks know this, is where'd the money come from, right? We still don't know, like, there's a guy who's making forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 a year, suddenly makes a million dollars a year, loans his campaign 700000 and weeks into this whole story, we still don't know where that money yeah, and that's what initially got me interested in in the first place. I mean, it's hilarious and it's entertaining, but I wanted to know how he got so well-funded. And so I've been digging into that, and I think something that um, we're going to keep an eye on is that his treasurer, Nancy Marks, is the same treasurer as Lee Zeldin and many other local campaigns, as well as many other PACs and LLCs. She has about 60 under her name, registered to her address. And so she's moving a lot of money around in between these. And it's hard to say if that's the source of the money, but it's definitely something that I'm keeping in mind. That's interesting. In fact, Nancy March comes up in some other reporting we saw from Dr. Boyd's memo that people in the campaign would say, like, oh, you got to talk to Nancy. Like, she was the one keeping the books, and she is a known entity in this world. Presumably, people are going to want to talk. Exactly. Yeah, I spoke to a candidate in 2020 that had her as a treasurer, and I asked him, how did you even get connected? And he says, oh, someone just said, oh, you want a treasurer? Go to Nancy. She'll take care of you. So now you've got, I mean, you've got investigators. Now, the, the, the Nassau folks, the, the other thing that's fascinating is the, is the House freshman Republican class, right? So Disposito, who's an adjacent district, right? Also Long Island district. He's looking around. He won a Biden district that was like plus 15 or something, right? Like, it was like one of the big upsets of the whole thing. Yeah. He understands the incentives here are not, he doesn't want to run in 2024 as like Tweedledee and Tweedledum with George Santos in the district next door. Exactly. Yeah, he wants to differentiate himself. And I think that being a New York Republican is a weird thing, right? Because they're not used to having any sort of power in this area. And as the district has reddened over the Trump years, they realize we should probably, you know, figure out how to wield our our power properly, and and they obviously completely stepped on it this time. So you've got the New York GOP today calling for him, the chair of the New York GOP, four freshman members, including the guy in the district next to him in the New York delegation, every Nassau County Republican. But Kevin McCarthy, I mean, I think that what's clear is he's got a narrow majority. He can't afford to lose the vote. He doesn't want to resign, and there's no mechanism to force him to. Right, and, and some people are saying, well, he got his vote for the speakership, and he got his use out of George Santos, and now he can kind of let him go. But uh, I, I don't see it happening that easily. I think he's going to have to be dragged out of there by his hair. Yeah, and I don't think he wants to go. It's also not clear. Uh, there's not a good mechanism for expelling him. Frankly, we talked about expulsion uh, before. But the other thing that's very clear in the subjects of all this is every day there's a George Santos story is not good for George Santos, not good for the New York Republican Party, not good for the Nassau County GOP. Probably not good for Kevin McCarthy, 
But McCarthy needs that vote so badly that there's nothing to do but hold on for the ride. That's not true of the folks back home who want, who do not want to face wake up tomorrow to another George Santos. Exactly, and you have these two kind of competing um, priorities for yes. people, and and McCarthy is kind of freaking out because he can't lose that vote. But back home, they, they want nothing to do with this. He's such an embarrassment. I mean, in the in the press conference today, they talked about how he pretended to be descendants of a Holocaust survivor, and how that was a particularly egregious thing being from this district. I grew up there. To, to explain to you, I, I, you know, when it, people get bar and bat mitzvah when they're twelve and thirteen, um, every weekend. In seventh and eighth grade, I had a bar and bat mitzvah to go to in growing up in Jericho, New York. Yeah. And um, there were three the weekend of mine. It was like a drama. Who's going to go to whose? And so that's where George Santos is representing. Yes, I'm <laughs> trying to tell people I'm Jewish uh, and, and, and sort of appropriating that. It, it does not uh, work very well for us. Thank you very much. Thank you. This dude lied about his race, sexuality, and his money. He's white. And he's going to get away with it for two years. For two years, he's going to get away with it because he's white and they won't do anything. Uh, moving on to the first week of the, I think I'm going to go back, but check this out. The first full week of the new Congress is in the books and Republicans are making their priorities clear. The new House majority passed bills that would gut the IRS and one that would attack what little remains of abortion rights. Plus, don't forget about all those investigations the Republicans promised, including the one they launched at the end of the week to investigate President Biden's handling of classified documents. Joining me now, Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and former Republican House Oversight Committee spokesperson and senior advisor, and Christina Greer, associate professor of political science at Fordham University. She's also the author of Black Ethnics, Race, Immigration, and the Pursuit of the American Dream. Kurt, Christina, welcome back to the Sunday show. Kurt, since you're sitting here right next to me, your reaction to the first week, this first week of the new Congress with the Republican majority. Well, I'm confused, Jonathan, because I remember in the midterm elections, Republicans talking nonstop about the economy, talking about inflation, Mm -hmm. talking about crime. And none of those things that you just listed had anything to do with any of the things they talked about running on. So I'm wondering, I bet a lot of their voters are wondering, what the hell are you guys talking about? The last thing that the American people want is just a myriad of investigations, taxpayer finance, which ones. What they do want is their lawmakers, and this is true for both parties, to do things that will actually improve their day-to-day lives. And guess what? Hunter Biden's emails, Joe Biden's documents, the American people don't care about that. They have This does nothing to impact their lives, and this has nothing to do with what anybody promised they would do if they ran. So, so then, Christina, could all these investigations backfire? You know, Jonathan, I think Kurt's absolutely right. There's a real uh, risk that the Republicans might overplay their hand, even in the court of public opinion. I think, you know, the diehard Republicans that literally walk off a cliff with Donald Trump and the extremist wings of the party, which unfortunately have taken over the entire Republican Party, uh, they're still, you know, pretty solidified. But, you know, there are a lot of Republican lawmakers who are looking at re-election. They might be looking at uh, competitive primaries. And they actually uh, realize that just talking about Hunter Biden and retreading Hillary Clinton 
Washington is actually not a strategy. With Kevin McCarthy, though, in, in such a precarious position, you know, he's essentially going to run with any whims of whatever faction of the party uh, decides, you know, that they want to speak up. But sadly, the Republicans haven't put forth a substantive policy agenda for the American people, and especially for the people in their party, who are really struggling with uh, the, some of the, the worst parts of the economy. They're really struggling with COVID. We've, saw, we've seen the Republican numbers of those who have died by COVID. Uh, they're the ones who are living in communities uh, with, with decreasing hospitals. And so hopefully some of their base will actually wake up and recognize that their leaders are not working on their behalf and start demanding from them uh, some actual policy positions. Uh, okay, so you're in New York, um, Christina. Kurt, you're, you're here with me. But we got to talk about George Santos because uh, Brother Man had a bad week. Now he's facing bipartisan calls to step down. Christina, you were, you, you're there in New York. Do you think he will? I don't know if he'll step down anytime soon. I mean, Jonathan, we're dealing with someone who's clearly pathological. I mean, he's literally lied about every single part of his life and his CV. Every part. I mean, you know, you're killing off your mother in 9-11. You're talking about losing co-workers in the Pulse nightclub shooting. Now we see that you're going by several different aliases. He's got past roommates uh, who have said that he's stolen and lied. And the real question, though, is, Jonathan, where did he get all of this money? Where did the millions of dollars come from? Where did the 700000 or $750,000 come from that he was able to loan his campaign? So I think, you know, the Republican Party in New York, at least, is saying this is not good for business. We said that we wanted to be, you know, the party that, you know, is truthful against the Democrats. And here we are, someone who is, I mean, when I say he's lied about everything, Jonathan, he said he went to Baruch College on a volleyball scholarship. Uh, and there's no evidence that he even attended Baruch. So not just, you know, his education, but what he did while he was at said university. And so I think, you know, some of us, you know, online have been chuckling about, oh, he, he lies about everything. But when you zoom out 30,000 feet, we're really dealing with someone who's clearly not mentally stable with the extent of his lies. Wait, I mean, Kurt, didn't he, he didn't just say he went to Baruch and played volleyball. Wasn't, didn't he say he was a champion? Volleyball champion. Volleyball champion. <laughs> I mean, do you think, I mean, every, everybody's calling on him to step down. In the old days, shame would have led to, led him to step down or would at least have the leadership say, mm -hmm. you know, yo, you got to go. But how likely is it that George Santos will step down? It's unlikely. Uh, let, let's put, when you are willing to lie about how your mother died, Shame has no play in your worldview and your thinking. You can't be shamed at that point. And Kevin McCarthy's made it very clear through his actions and even saying he's going to appoint him to some congressional committees. He needs every single vote that he could possibly get. We just saw the complete disaster that was them trying to even pick a speaker with a narrow majority, making that majority even narrower. They're not going to do that. Santos is going to stay because this is the best paying job he'll ever have <laughs> and probably the only job he can get right now. Right, that's a, you know, that's actually a good, uh, a good point, Kurt. Um, uh, Christina, um, one of the issues, one of the things I talked about um, with the Congressional Black Caucus chairman, but also with um, the DNC chairman, and that is, you know, what should Democrats do? And, and they're in the minority, but not by much. And I'm just wondering, you know, should Democrats even try to rein in Republican extremism, or should they just stand back and let the American people see uh, just the craziness for what it is. 
Right. I mean, the Republican Party is very clear that the inmates have taken over the asylum. And I think you're absolutely right, Jonathan. We're dealing with Republicans, many of whom have zero shame. And you can't really work or negotiate with people who have no shame. And a lot of them got that from Donald Trump and really uh, excavated and exploited that uh, since he was president. I think the Democrats need to do what they have been doing, which is focus on policy, focus on working for the American people, focus on articulating what they are doing for the American people and continue working. I think so many Democrats, the first part of the party for me is that uh, many Democrats are doing the work. They just don't then translate it for the American people to let them know what they have done. So I think they need to be in lockstep message, uh, not let the minor factions within the Democratic Party distract them from the larger goal to make sure economically we're safe, that we're safe in COVID, that we have a long-term future for environmental protections, and that we you know, protect and codify a woman's right to choose. All of these issues that really do matter to the American people, the Democrats need to not only keep working on them, but keep letting the American people know that they're working. On that. Kurt, you are you are a, a messaging guru from formerly from the other side. Have Democrats gotten better at selling what they're doing? I think they have. I think they've also gotten better, Jonathan, at actually labeling the Republican Party for what they are. And I think we saw that bear out in the midterm elections when so many extremists who were on the ballot lost, whether it was Carrie Lake, whether it was Mehmet Oz, whether it was Herschel Walker, all the Secretary of State candidates that were part of the big lie, they all lost. And that's because Democrat messaging really stepped up a notch in labeling Republicans and, and, and really just telling the American people, this is who they are. And I think the frame of that question was spot on. Sit back, let them show everyone who they are. What Democrats need to focus on is talking about accomplishments, but then also setting the context for things that sometimes the media is missing. When Republicans right now are talking about classified documents, we need to point out every single time, well, hey, somehow you guys said nothing about Donald Trump's handling of, of doc, his obstruction of justice. They're talking right now today about wanting, Mar wanting visitor logs from Biden's home. I don't remember saying anything when it turned out that there were no visitor logs at Mar-a-Lago at all. Right, come on here. Let's go. <laughs> Fine. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they are going crazy. That's the first week of the 118th Congress. And speaking of Biden's documents, check this out. Well, howdy there, Internet people. It's Bo again. So today we are going to talk a little bit about the coverage that has come out since uh, the Biden documents thing began and its comparison to the Trump documents thing. Um, we're going to go over some of the statements that have shown up in the media and the general idea. The, the first thing is that it, it's the same. We've talked about it already. Based on all available evidence, it is not the same. It, it really isn't. Um, now, should there be an investigation to determine what happened to make sure it doesn't happen again, the hot wash aspect of it, yes, absolutely. That definitely needs to occur. Based on some of the reporting, some of this stuff was the, the type of documents that I have always been worried about during the Trump coverage, which means, yes, they have to find out what happened. The thing is, that's occurring. They handed, uh, Garland handed off this case to a Trump-nominated U.S. attorney out of Chicago. So that, that's occurring. That's happening. Um, now, as far as whether or not they're really the same, if you go back to the Trump coverage, you will hear the phrase willful retention over and over and over again because that's kind of actually the crime. 
willfully retaining the documents. That's, that's, that's the issue. But that's not what happened in the Biden case. By all available evidence, what occurred was, hey, they found it and they immediately called. That's the exact opposite of willful retention. It's not the same. As far as it making a comparison, the comparison is, look, this is how it's supposed to be handled. This is what Trump did. The Biden administration didn't fight subpoenas, didn't say the stuff had been returned, didn't constantly obstruct. That didn't occur. They didn't willfully retain, which is which is the crime. Now, another piece of uh, rhetoric, another talking point that has come out that's kind of gotten under my skin a little bit, to be honest, is the idea that this would make charging Trump harder. In what world? How does that work? I'm super curious. Because that doesn't make sense. The way a charging decision is supposed to be reached is they evaluate the evidence and they make the charging decision based on the evidence. Never, never has it occurred where the FBI is looking into a bank robbery and they're like, oh, we were going to charge him, but we found out somebody else robbed a bank too. That's not how it works. It doesn't make the charging decision more difficult. That is something that apologists and those people who want to protect the institution of the presidency made up. That's not how this functions. Let's say that the Biden case and the Trump case are identical in every respect. Everything is the same. It's not, but let's say that it is. The the correct course of action, if there was enough evidence to charge... It wouldn't be to let Trump go. It would be to charge them both. That's how it, it, it's supposed to work. It doesn't make the charging decision more difficult. Anybody who is telling you that is selling you something. They're trying to convince you to let Trump out of this. The charge is willful retention. That's, that's the most likely charge for this. The willful retention of national defense information. That would be the real issue. By all the evidence, and it's being investigated by a Trump-nominated U.S. attorney, that didn't occur. So it's not the same. But even if it was the same, the, the proper response wouldn't be to let Trump go, to, to look the other way. Set aside the scale, the scope, all of the actual facts. If, if the two instances were identical that still wouldn't justify not charging Trump. That's just something they've made up to muddy the waters. Anyway, it's just a thought. Y'all have a good day. Yep. Common sense. Just straight common sense. That if Biden withheld uh, documents, charge him. It's not he won't get charged because he did. He turned them over right away. But it is what it is. And Republicans are going to say, yes, we are going to investigate and try to find a problem that isn't there. All right. At this time, we're going to go to VI politics and check this out.
Only two days into 2023, and already the rabbit holes are getting deeper and more insidious. This is Denise George, and she was the Attorney General of the Virgin Islands. She was also one of the only prosecutors in America legitimately targeting associates of the notorious sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein. Last year, Denise George filed a civil lawsuit against the estate of Jeffrey Epstein, claiming that his associates presented false information to the government of the Virgin Islands in order to obtain tax exemptions that therefore helped them fund his criminal activities. That lawsuit was settled for $105 million, plus half of the proceeds of Jeffrey Epstein's former home at Little St. James in the Virgin Islands when it finally gets sold. That island was commonly known as Pedophile Island, and it's where Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell would traffic young girls who were sexually abused. Fast forward to six days ago on December 27th, Denise George filed another high-profile lawsuit against friends of Jeffrey Epstein, this time against Epstein's former bank, J.P. Morgan & Chase. The lawsuit alleges that J.P. Morgan & Chase knew full well what Jeffrey Epstein was up to and yet for decades continued to allow them to use their bank. And now today, six days after filing that lawsuit, Denise George has been fired as the Attorney General of the Virgin Islands. She was relieved from duty by the Governor of the Virgin Islands, Albert Bryan Jr. The Governor released a statement without specifically giving a reason for why he fired the Attorney General. He just said, I am not at liberty to discuss details on personnel matters. It should also be pointed out that after he purchased his home in the Virgin Islands in 1998 that he would use for sex trafficking, Epstein received over $144 million in tax exemptions from the Virgin Islands government. Epstein was also heavily connected to the political leaders of the Virgin Islands, as well as made numerous charitable contributions to schools and organizations throughout the territory. Oh yeah, and it also just so happens that the President of the United States and his wife were vacationing in the Virgin Islands when this all went down. They arrived to the island on the day the lawsuit was filed and left the day that the Attorney General was fired. The Jeffrey Epstein story should make you question everything you've ever been told in your entire life. Not only did he and Ghislaine Maxwell commit some of the most horrific sex crimes of all time, but they did it with some of the most powerful people in the world. Ghislaine was convicted of sex trafficking, but they had to traffic all of those young girls to somebody. We know people like Prince Andrew and Bill Gates and Bill Clinton were friends with Jeffrey Epstein and flew to his island with him. They have Ghislaine Maxwell in prison, they have his little black book, and they have the names. But not only has there been no accountability for any of these people, but prosecutors that are actually targeting the associates of Epstein in a significant way are mysteriously being fired. Nothing to see here, guys. Move along. Yep, that's the crazy part. Six days whilst Joe Biden was there, that's kind of crazy. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of crazy that That they file a lawsuit and then she gets fired and they give you a half-ass explanation of why she got fired. If anyone has any more information or, or thoughts about this, you can reach us at the Common Sense Party Podcast. That's sense with a C-E-N-T-S Party Pod at gmail.com you can hit us up on Instagram or Facebook alright you can also have your business uh, represented at this point or any point in our podcast by contacting us at the common sense body pod at gmail.com and we can endorse your business this is a common sense body podcast uh, rate us, review us, give us five stars, give us four stars, give us four stars, give us three stars, give us any stars. 
if you don't give us any stars, we will assume that we're doing it correctly. Uh, we are available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. We're working on the Apple. All uh, right, we're going to talk about the debt ceiling. We might talk Trump next week, but we're going to go ahead and see what the Republicans are talking about uh, the debt limit. How did Kevin McCarthy finally get enough votes to become a House Speaker? We've all seen the images of Marjorie Taylor Greene acting as a personal switchboard for one Donald J. Trump as the former president lobbied members to back my Kevin. We've seen images of Republican Mike Rogers apparently getting ready to hit McCarthy holdout Matt Gates on Friday night before McCarthy finally won on the 15th ballot. That's what was happening before our eyes. But if one thing really sealed it for McCarthy, it was almost certainly the concessions he had to make to his party's far, far right in their crusade for steeper cuts to federal spending. So, when and how will the party push for those cuts? We believe there ought to be specific, concrete uh, limits on spending attached to a a debt ceiling increase. We have to go through debt ceiling. We're going to have to figure out a way to cut our spending, curtail our spending, Mm -hmm. because we're living well beyond our means. We're coming up against the debt ceiling vote, and what that's going to mean, that might be the first test of how committed the Republican Party in the House is to really holding the line on spending. Am I wrong on that? No, you're not wrong on that. This is our moment to change the behavior to make sure that hardworking taxpayer that we're not wasting their money. Ah, yes, the debt ceiling. In the coming months, most experts say sometime between July and September, if not sooner, the U.S. will reach its borrowing limit, its artificial debt ceiling. The government will have borrowed all it's authorized to do by law, and, key point, won't be able to pay for the spending that Congress has already taken on. You're going to hear a lot from both parties as the deadline gets closer, but pretty much everything you'll hear and heard a moment ago from Republicans about the debt ceiling is a lie including the idea that raising the debt ceiling is some sacred thing that we cannot do without serious and thoughtful and prolonged debate. First of all, the debt ceiling, as we know, it didn't exist until 1939. It's not some centuries-old institution. And Congress has raised it 78 times in the past 60 years. 78 times. It is, or was at least, a pretty routine thing. Republicans will also tell you that the debt ceiling is vital to our country. It's a key part of how any government taxes and spends. Well, no. Let's look at a map of the world. On it, you can see all the countries that have a debt ceiling. Or rather, both of the countries that have a debt ceiling. It's only the US and Denmark, just the two of us. Republicans also always falsely link the debt ceiling debate to future spending. They say we can't afford, that we can't raise the debt ceiling unless we have a serious talk about spending. No. The debt ceiling is about borrowing enough money to cover spending that we've already authorized. Already, like in the past, including by them. If you until now thought there was a link between the debt ceiling and future spending, it may be because Republicans have hammered us with that particular lie for years. Oh, and when Republicans tell you that this is all about them being fiscally responsible, unlike the Democrats, and not wanting to raise the debt or deficit, that too is a lie. The Congressional Budget Office says that the 2020 deficit alone was $200 billion greater than it would have been if that tax bill had never passed. And if Republicans were, in fact, responsible, deliberate, sober when it comes to the debt and the debt ceiling, why did they vote three times during the Trump years, alongside Democrats, to go ahead and raise it? At best, Republicans know nothing about economics. At worst, they're just lying. 
In fact, it's probably both. And if you don't believe me, just watch this clip of the number two Republican in the House earlier this week. America, over time, occasionally hits the debt ceiling because it's like a credit card limit. And families back home, have, if they have credit cards, they have a limit on that credit card. And if they hit their limit or they're very close to it, which we are, it means you've spent more money than you have. You've, you've spent more money than you, your credit card has allowed you to spend. I don't know where to begin with that piece of economic illiteracy from Steve Scalise. How about I let economist and author Stephanie Kelton, a former aide to the Senate Budget Committee, handle this one? She responded on Twitter to that Scalise clip with a passage from her 2020 bestseller, The Deficit Myth. Quote, if you've heard someone complain that Washington needs to get its fiscal house in order, you've heard a version of the household myth. It derives from the flawed idea that we should look at Uncle Sam's budget through the same lens we use to manage our own family budgets. Of all the myths... This is undoubtedly the most pernicious. Now, I could understand if the myths about our economy were coming just from the guy who lied about working for Goldman Sachs. But those myths are basically a platform of today's entire Republican Party. And sadly, a fair few centrist Democrats believe in them too. So as we prepare for a drawn-out debt-sealing fight, let's call these claims what they are. Myths. Falsehoods. Lies. And Stephanie Kelton joins me now. She's professor of economics and public policy at Stony Brook University, author of The Deficit Myth. Stephanie, thanks for coming back on the show. Personally, I feel like screaming every time I hear Republicans invoke a household budget or the credit card when they talk about the debt ceiling. Just explain briefly to our viewers, why is Steve Scalise so wrong in those comments we just played? Well, the, first, thank you for having me on. I think the big thing, Mehdi, is, you know, we all know, those of us that have a credit card, which probably pretty much everybody who's watching, we know that the limit on our credit card is imposed by the lender, right? It's the lender who says, I'm going to limit the amount of uh, charges that I'm willing to allow you to put on the card because I'm worried about your ability to repay the, the loan. Yeah. Now, the debt ceiling limit, who imposes that limit? It is not a lender. It is the borrower itself. It is the federal government in the form of Congress that is saying we are self-imposing this absurd constraint, which, as you just said, uh, does nothing to actually constrain spending. All it does is potentially impede the ability of the government to make the payments that Congress has already authorized. So the debt ceiling is a form of self-delusion and, uh, and obviously the kind of thing that periodically – uh, takes us to the brink where, you know, we start to wonder whether we're going to do something unprecedented that could create incredible chaos in the global financial system, which is to actually default yeah. on those payments. And the credit card analogy is not just dumb. It doesn't even make sense because what Steve Scalise is saying is don't pay back your credit card bill. That's essentially what they're saying uh, if they want to risk a debt default. Um, Stephanie, where did this myth even come from? Because it's something conservatives around the world believe in. I'm from the UK. It is very popular with the British Conservative Party. Even some liberals on both sides of the Atlantic who call themselves fiscal hawks, they push it too. Why is it the zombie lie that never dies? Somewhere on the bookshelf behind me is a book that traces out sort of 150 years of this sort of, uh, you know, repeating of these myths, everything from, you know, burdening future generations to yes. national insolvency and all the rest of it. So, you know, to, to get at the answer, where does it come from? It has a very, very long 
uh, lineage, and it, it dates all the way back to sort of the beginning of the country. You know, when when we start thinking about governments um, spending more than they take in, right away you start to hear the analogies to the household budget and how you know sound finance requires that governments budget prudently, much like a household. So that sort of thing's been invoked for centuries. Yeah, it sounds, it sounds true to an average person who isn't following the nuts and bolts of the economic arguments. Uh, Mark Zandi, the chief economist for Moody's Analytics, he predicted last year that if we do default on the debt, uh, it could lead to a crisis that could cost this country six million jobs and $15 trillion wiped out in household wealth. Do you agree with that prediction? Is that how bad it could get? Could it be worse than that? How bad will it be if we default on our debt? Catastrophic is what Secretary Yellen, the word that she has used to describe it, I think that's exactly the right thing. And I don't know what Mark Sandy would find if he were to update. Now, you know, uh, the figures that you just read off are a little bit dated. Maybe he would say it would be even worse today. And bear in mind that he's not wrapping his arms around the whole of the collateral damage. In other words, he's talking about losses that would be borne here in the U.S., but the U.S. Treasury, this thing we call the national debt, the total outstanding stock of U.S. government bonds, is the most important financial instrument in the global financial system. Yeah. So the fall would, would have ripple effects that go well beyond the impact that would be felt by American businesses and by American families who have savings and pensions and all the rest of it. Many, many, many trillions of dollars. Economists, not you, but in general, economists tend to talk often in very abstract terms. I think it is fair to say if there was a catastrophe of that level, to quote Janet Yellen, on the level that Mark Zandi is talking about, or worse, as you suggest, people would die. I mean, we're talking about people's lives here, uh, not some abstract numbers uh, on a chart. Uh, and this is what the Republicans are flirting with. And yet Democrats, Stephanie, have at various points talked about legislation to up the debt ceiling. Some have suggested getting rid of the debt ceiling. When President Biden though, was asked about that idea last year, listen to what he said. On the debt ceiling, do you support the permanent repeal of the debt ceiling, sir? The permanent repeal of the debt ceiling? What do you mean? Yes. You mean just say we don't have a debt limit? No debt limit. No. I'd be irresponsible. That would be irresponsible, getting rid of the debt ceiling that no other country except Denmark has, but allowing our country to almost default on its debt, that's not irresponsible? You know what's funny? If you had created the, the global map that you put up uh, earlier uh, just a handful of years ago, there would have been a third country because in the wake of the financial crisis, 2008-2009, the Australian government imposed a debt ceiling limit. And so you would have had a third country there. But guess what? By 2013, they realized how stupid that was. They didn't want to follow the footsteps of the U.S. and have these, you know, political brinksmanship and taking the country to the verge of crisis periodically. And so they changed their mind. They said, this was a terrible mistake. Let's repeal it. And so it's gone. And, you know, I have to say, I agree with Secretary Yellen, who did say that she thinks that the U.S. ought to uh, abolish the debt ceiling limit. This thing serves no useful purpose quick, whatsoever. Quick last question, Stephanie. There's been reporting this week about Democrats and centrist Republicans, if such a thing exists, using a rarely used tactic that would force a debt ceiling bill out of committee and onto the floor, possibly circumventing uh, much of the far-right GOP caucus. Are there other ways Democrats uh, should be looking at this problem, any ways they should be using to explore how to avoid a showdown on the debt ceiling? 
Well, periodically when this comes up, you start to hear proposals like minting the trillion-dollar platinum coin. Yes. You hear people talk about, you know, it's, it would be unconstitutional to default on the debt. So there are appeals to the executive branch to use uh, different authorities to avoid a default using, you know, uh, the 14th Amendment and that sort of thing. So I don't know. I think, you know, Maddie, one more thing I, I would just like to say. You mentioned that people, you know, would die if we allowed some sort of catastrophic default. And I would just point out that the last time we got really close and we ended up with all of the drama around the fiscal cliff, this yeah. was when President Obama was in office, right? And uh, Democrats and Republicans said, listen, we're going to draft this uh, agreement and we're yes. going to say to one another that we're going to hold hands and jump over the cliff together and we'll suffer the consequences which are yeah. across the board, indiscriminate cuts to defense and non-defense spending. Those cuts have real consequences, too. They cost lives, too. So yes. even a deal that keeps us from defaulting on the debt Very good can point. have consequences for, for real people in this economy. Which is why the best option would be to listen to the Aussies and get rid of it, but Joe Biden and Joe Manchin and others don't want to. Okay. Here's my thought on the debt limit. Debt ceiling, sorry. <laughs> Fine. If we are the ones who... On the credit card limit, why not raise it so it doesn't have a we don't have a problem with it? But that's just me. But they're stuck in the old ways, and again, Republicans don't like poor people. That's why they want to cut it. They don't want to use money for them for other people. All right, one more, one more about the debt ceiling before we go. Now we now know some of what Kevin McCarthy gave away to Matt Gates and the 20 Republicans insurgents one week ago after they had humiliated McCarthy with 14 failed attempts to become Speaker of the House. It was always a threat, and now it's confirmed. House Republicans are planning to breach the debt limit. The Washington Post reports tonight House Republicans' payment prioritization plan may also stipulate that the Treasury Department should continue making payments on Social Security, Medicare, and veterans' benefits, as well as funding the military, two people said. Such a move would be unprecedented and hugely controversial, and even releasing the plan could turn into a major political liability for the GOP. A hypothetical proposal that protects Social Security, Medicare, veterans' benefits, and the military would still leave out huge swaths of critical federal expenditure on things like Medicaid, food safety inspections, border control, air traffic control, to name just a few of the thousands of programs. Democrats are also likely to accuse Republicans of prioritizing payments to U.S. bondholders, which include Chinese banks, over American citizens, end quote. Here's the thing. None of this is new. Republicans tried this trick with President Obama when they first took the debt ceiling hostage. The Treasury warned then, and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says today, Congress cannot allow this to happen. You see, the victim of breaching the debt ceiling isn't congressional Democrats. It's not Joe Biden. It's you and me and everyone in America and possibly the global economy. And to threaten it today is, in fact, much more dangerous than it was back when Barack Obama was president, back when inflation and interest rates were low. Because of inflation, which is currently a global phenomenon, interest rates are higher today than they were then. Remember, insofar as Republicans had 
any policy in the midterm elections. They claim to care about inflation, blaming Biden and congressional Democrats for causing it and displaying staggering ignorance about basic economics. Nevertheless, Republicans claim that they would fix inflation if they got elected. Now, just listen to the Republican experts in that article I just quoted from. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce's vice president says, quote, prioritization doesn't work. We had this discussion a decade ago. The U.S. government skips its payments to America's seniors or skips its payments to bondholders. Both of those things call into question the full faith and credit of the United States government and our commitment to paying our bills. Both of them have pretty catastrophic economic consequences. End quote. An analyst at the Manhattan Institute says studying this in 2011 convinced us that this would be a really bad idea and something we really did not want to happen. We didn't end the exercise saying, this is feasible and smart. We said, let's avoid this at all costs because it's going to be a disaster, end quote. Disaster, catastrophe. These are not hyperbole. These are not uh, conservative, not from these conservative entities. But today in a letter to Congress, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is an expert at this since she was the former head of the Federal Reserve, warned that the United States is expected to reach its borrowing limit next Thursday. Thursday. Secretary Yellen writes, quote, failure to meet the government's obligations would cause irreparable harm to the U.S. economy, the livelihoods of all Americans, and global financial stability. I respectfully urge Congress to ask, act promptly to protect the full faith and credit of the United States, end quote. Secretary Yeltsin also writes that the U.S. will be, quote, taking certain extraordinary measures to prevent the United States from defaulting on its obligations. Failing to increase or suspend the debt limit could delay Social Security and Medicare benefits, military salaries, tax refunds even. Today, the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and the House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries issued a statement saying, quote, a default forced by extreme MAGA Republicans could plunge the country into a deep recession and lead to even higher costs for America's working families on everything from mortgages and car loans to credit cards, interest, credit card interest rates. Democrats want to move quickly to pass legislation addressing the debt limit, so there is no chance of risking a catastrophic default. We've seen in previous debt ceiling standoffs that even the threat of default leads to even higher costs for working families. Republican leaders must do the right thing to protect Social Security, the economy, and our country. End quote. So, it's up to the Republican caucus to figure this out, like, immediately. And if you recall from last week's speaker selection debacle... That's a really bad thing for you and me, and possibly everyone. For starters, some of these rocket scientists don't even know what the debt ceiling is. American people are sick and tired of this endless debt increasing. Okay, that's like buying a car and saying you're sick and tired of the monthly payments, or buying a house and saying you've had it with the damn mortgage payments. Month after month after month, it never seems to stop. Paying your bills is not the same as increasing your debt. The purchase is the debt. And like purchases, uh, big purchases, like houses and cars, or the social safety net payments, or defense, you pay as you go. Kevin McCarthy made a deal with that guy, Scott Perry, to win the speakership. So they're stupid to contend with. But then there are the chaos Republicans, which is different from the stupid caucus. The chaos caucus, if you will, are the burn-it-down Republicans, the ones who cheered on the Capitol attackers, the ones who took McCarthy's speaker battle to 15 votes. You really want to count on them to step back from the brink and do the responsible thing? And what will the person beholden to the chaos caucus do? The one thing I know in four days from now, 
people have a decision to make. Do they want to stay on the same path of inflation, of gas prices rising, of a cost of living as you go to the grocery store? That was November. The same Republicans spent the past year attacking Democrats on inflation are the same Republicans who, if they don't vote to increase the debt limit, will cause high inflation, a recession, or catastrophically, both inflation and a recession. For those of you my age or older, there's an example of what can happen. Japan in the 1990s. Between 1991 and 2001, Japan lost, Japan lost the entire decade. It was actually called the lost decade. Japan saw a significant slowdown in what was once a red-hot economy, the most promising major economy in the world. Japan was, in 1990, the future. By 2001, it was the past. Because in that decade, Japan's economy simply stopped growing. They faced inflation, which requires increasing interest rates to fight, and they faced a recession, which requires decreasing interest rates to fight. You just can't do both. So Japan had stagflation, economic stagnation, and inflation at the same time. That is an economic death spiral. President Barack Obama once referenced Japan's lost decade, saying, quote, the federal government is the only entity left with the resources to jolt our economy back to life. As a consequence, they, meaning Japan, suffered what was called the lost decade, where essentially for the entire 1990s, they did not see any significant economic growth. Japan's lost decade could become a reality for America if Republicans do not increase the debt limit. The rock-solid labor market that we have right now with record low unemployment has been a boon to Americans. Yes, things do cost more, but higher prices are a lot easier to manage if you have a job than if you don't. The Washington Post reported that the possible number of layoffs from a true debt ceiling breach could be in the millions. So remember this tonight. The Republicans' hostage isn't some esoteric thing called the debt ceiling. The hostage is not Joe Biden. The hostage is you. Because you and me and all of us are the ones who are going to get hurt. All right, that is the Common Sense Party podcast for today. On this Martin Luther King Day, what did we learn? We learned that Republicans don't like poor people. They want to go after the IRS, the FBI. They want to kill Social Security. We also found out that the AG from the VA got fired for doing her job. We got to find out more about that. And the only thing in common between Biden and Trump's documents is the age. They're two old white men who took papers home. But one obstructed justice, the other didn't. So, I don't know why, but hey, it it is what it is and we will see you next week this is the common sense party podcast rate us review us give us five stars give us four stars give us three stars give us two stars give us any stars if you don't give us any stars we can just assume that we're doing it right uh we're available on spotify amazon music samsung pandora google podcast tune in and we're working on apple and from me to you. Have a good rest of this holiday. What? The shuttle's coming. Let's watch it land. Talk about doll, Daniel.
If you're gonna ride, Dano, ride in style. Something you'll never be if you don't get back to the city. Save it, cop! <laughs> 